World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do, as well as our team development programs. You'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. We've got another fun one for you. Uh, what are we speaking about today, Jane? And who are we speaking to? So today we are talking all things meetings, uh, both real life and virtual. And we are talking to Dr. Joe Allen, who is a professor of industrial and organizational psychology at the University of Utah, and also the director of, for the Center for Meeting Effectiveness. Right. Well, he sounds like a great person to have this conversation with. Let us get in there and see what we learn about meetings. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's of our podcast, and we've got a really exciting conversation. We're going to be speaking to Dr. Joe Allen, who's a professor of IO psychology at the University of Utah, and we're going to be exploring a subject that I'm really passionate about, and I think sometimes we don't pay enough attention to, and this is meetings in organizations. And specifically, we're going to be looking into virtual meetings and exploring what makes good meetings, what lessons we can we can take away from some of the research that Joe's done, and how generally we can improve our productivity and experience in work through a better understanding of these meetings. Um, before we jump into the uh, subject, though, Joe, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit more about yourself and your background and the things you're looking at at the minute? Yeah, sure. Glad to do it. And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate you um, allowing me to join you uh, today and talk a little bit about uh, virtual meetings. Uh, so I, I'm a professor. I'm at the University of Utah, as you mentioned, but I'm also the director of the Center for Meeting Effectiveness at the University of Utah, which means that I spend all my time thinking about meetings, uh, workplace meetings of all different t- shapes and sizes and that sort of thing. And one of the things that I've recently done uh, is write a book on virtual meetings. It's called Suddenly Virtual. Uh, it's put out by Wiley. It's a it's a trade book, and so it's intended for you know mass audience. You know, everybody can pick it up and read it, and hopefully uh, learn some of the things that we'll mention today uh, about how to make virtual meetings more effective and more humane. Uh, and so that's that's what I've been really focusing on a lot lately is is the virtual meetings. But I'm also kind of pivoting towards uh, hybrid meetings. So I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit about some of the things that I'm doing in relation to that as well. That's brilliant. You know, we'll definitely speak about hybrid meetings and some of the work we've been doing. We've been working with organizations exploring that that move to hybrid. Um, so definitely topical and really interesting and love to pick your brains on it. Um, meetings, I think, are such an important subject, right? I mean, having worked in organizations trying to deliver change and improve performance and engagement, it's the ineffectiveness of meetings or, or the, uh, the bad behaviors around meetings are something that I've battled for a long time. And I really feel that if we could just get that little bit better at meetings, we could make such a difference to our organizations. Um, if we start at the, the beginning, though, before we jump into virtual meetings, if we start just with meetings in general, what do you think makes a good meeting in a workplace? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, there's quite a few different things that actually intersect in the meeting space, Right. You know, you've got the different attributes of individuals and the team and the topic and so forth. And so it's, it's, it's kind of daunting to think about all the different things that might matter in terms of making meetings effective. Uh, but the interesting thing is that most of the, the things that we found that are really, really important to make a meeting effective are really intuitive, too. So the first thing would be making sure your meeting has a purpose. Right. And, and, and if possible, before you even schedule the meeting, just think, OK, what is the purpose of this of this meeting I'm about to try and schedule with my team? And 
does this purpose require collaboration? Does it require me to talk to other people? And if the answer is yes to both of those, then schedule a meeting. If the answer is no, send an email. Not that we need more email, but send an email instead of instead of bringing everyone together because meetings are expensive. Uh, you know, the second thing would be um, starting and ending on time. You would think that that wouldn't be that big a deal, but I have been really surprised in my research at how important it is to start a meeting on time and to end it on time because lateness really can derail the effectiveness of a meeting. And then if you don't end on time, you have this issue of back-to-back meetings where you're causing the next meeting to be late. You're causing someone else's next meeting to be also be bad. So it's it's kind of have this ripple effect, right? And then I think the third thing would be when you're in the meeting, be in the meeting. One of the biggest problems we're seeing right now is multitasking, right? It's a lot easier to multitask in a virtual environment than, than it is in a face-to-face environment. But even in a face-to-face environment, if you've got your laptops open, I guarantee you you've got people doing other things other than paying attention to the meeting. So when you're in the meeting, pay attention, participate, engage. It just makes for a better experience for everyone if you just get involved and get engaged. Yeah, there, there's some great points there. And, and there's so much echo about lived experience. Like you said, a lot of this stuff is, is intuitive, but, but we don't really live by it. And, and we slip into these bad habits. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think, it's, I, uh, it's fascinating how that happens, that, that we just, we know what we should do, but we don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Could you say a little bit more about that expensive point? I, I think a lot of people don't really think about expense associated with meetings. What are you really getting at when you say meetings are expensive? Yeah, so uh, a little piece that I wrote, you know, years ago for a, 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 a journal called Quality Progress, we talked about uh, the expense, you know, the cost associated with meetings, and so you th- so there's there's the actual dollar cost that you can compute, right? You can say, okay, I have five people in my meeting, I know that their salaries are about this, we're going to be in here for an hour, their hourly rate is it, so you can you can figure out just from the time perspective how much it's costing right for the meeting but then you you that's magnified by the fact that if they're in the meeting they're also not doing something else and so you've got you've got the cost of the of their time you've got a cost of the things that they aren't doing that they're that you know that that they would be doing if they weren't in the meeting and then on top of that if the meeting is suboptimal right it's not as good as it could be you have the cost of the inefficiency that you are creating by not running an effective meeting and so the cost of meetings, you know, they, they're expensive, dollars and cents expensive, but they're also costly if they're not done well because one bad meeting begats more meetings because you're like, well, I, what I meant to say in the meeting was this, or you, you have to clarify with all the people that you're meeting with what the actual, what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah, and I've seen that so many times. We need another meeting to follow up on this because it was a total mess, right? Like people yeah, don't say exactly. it, but you, do, you just end up in that space. Um I've got another question, and, and we're going to, you know, drill into a little, a little bit of this more. But when you were speaking there about about meetings, you said they should have a purpose, and, and they should be about collaborating. And, and really, it's only if we have those conditions that we should go into this meeting. I guess we've all been invited to meetings because somebody wants to have a meeting, or there's an expectation, yeah. or there's a routine. So, what can we do about saying no to these meetings? How do how do we give ourselves some confidence to say, you know what? Maybe this isn't time for a meeting. How do we get that assurance and, and, and do some of that um, saying no action? Yeah, that's that's a good question because the, the, the issue is if you're not the meeting leader, it's hard to hard to say, oh, well, I'm not going to go to your meeting. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's, there's two, two groups of people to, to, that, that I'm addressing here. You've got the meeting leaders, right, who should be, you know, who are the ones calling the meeting, the ones putting them on your calendar, that sort of thing. 
they're the ones who should be asking themselves, what's the purpose of this meeting and is it collaborative? And therefore I need to have these people here to have the, have the meeting. And again, if they say no to either of those questions, I don't know what the purpose is, or I don't, you know, I know it's not really collaborative. They should, they should, they should not schedule it. But then you've got the attendees who go to the meeting, they sit, they're not really engaged. They walk out of the meeting and think, I'm never going to get that hour of my life back, right? Because they, they wasted that time and it really motivates them to do the multitasking that I mentioned earlier. And so there's, there's something that we, we call psychological safety. And this is idea that you feel safe within your environment to share your thoughts, opinions, and ideas without worry of repercussion. You know, like the, you're not going to get fired by telling someone, yeah, you yeah. know, maybe that wasn't a good meeting. <laughs> um, and if you can foster that sort of feedback system, right, that, that sort of feeling of I can tell my boss that a meeting wasn't, didn't need to be a meeting, right, then you can actually help reduce the meeting burden for everybody because everyone kind of says, hey, we just had that meeting. It was okay, but I didn't really need to participate. And so maybe the next time you schedule that meeting, I don't need to be there, right? Or and so it, it, and that's really a leadership aspect, but but it's something that attendees can engage in if they feel safe enough to do so, right? But you got to speak up. I think that's one of the challenges. You have to speak up and, and provide that feedback. And unless an organization fosters and unless a leader a leader fosters that that feedback mechanism, it can be particularly difficult for an attendee to say. Oh, please don't schedule me again for that meeting. I don't need to be there for that. Yeah, that's helpful. And and it sort of raises that, that question that we often come across when we're looking at things like this, which is that relationship between sort of process and ways of working and then culture within the organization. And it feels like here we can have some processes, but we need to get that sort of cultural conditions for success to let us use some of these processes to um, yeah. to best effect. Um, when you were talking about multitasking in meetings, I can totally uh, think back to times when I've been invited to meetings that I didn't want to be in and I yeah. multitasked and I was slightly resentful. But on top of that, I've been doing other stuff and I've made mistakes. So I've sent, you know, bogus information to people and just created more work for myself as well as wasting my time in those meetings. So, um, yeah. so they're, they're pretty dire at times. Um, yeah. I mean, I've already sent five meme- emails since we started talking. So I, I'm, I'm doing great here. Yeah. <laughs> Recall, recall, recall. <laughs> um, so if we if we think about meetings, we've got you know different. We play different roles in them, right? Some of us bring information. Some of them are some of us are there to approve. Some of us get things for information. You know, yeah. different things in there. But but one of the roles that's that's quite important in meetings is, I guess, the, the chair or the convener, depending on the type of language you use. What do yeah. you think that real role of a chair is? What's the purpose of a chair? And are there any things that you think chairs can do typically to to make their meetings more effective when they're you know face to face yeah you know so you know the meeting leader or the chair so there's there's an interesting situation here where in different types of meetings you'll have a meeting leader who who also may be the chair the person who organized the meeting in other cases you have someone else who organizes the meeting who maybe is the chair of the meeting but the leader in the room is not them right and those two those dynamics of of the, of the meeting change as a result of that. But if you think just about the chair or the facilitator, the person who organized the meeting, the person who called the meeting, whether they're the leader in the room or not, yeah, there's absolutely things that they should, they should be considering, right? So we, we talk about this a lot as meeting scientists, which I consider myself to be one. Uh, we talk about the use of, a, of an agenda, right? Um, and one of the things that we found when just looking at design characteristics of meetings, like having good lighting and seating and so forth, just focusing on face-to-face, one of the things that came out was having an agenda is important. And in a, and in a, and in a binary situation of yes, no, 
yes to an agenda means you know, maybe a two or three percent increase in the effectiveness of the meeting. But if you prepare the agenda ahead of time, you allow people to provide input, and then when you get into the meeting, you actually follow the agenda and you and you keep it moving, keep it flowing like a true facilitator is capable of doing, then that really makes a difference. It goes back to that purpose thing. If you can really de define the purpose and everybody knows it and they come prepared and they know what's going to be on the agenda and they've actually done even just a, a few minutes, you know, a few seconds thinking about it, it's going to be a much more effective meeting. So I think there's some pre-work that a, a, an organizer or a facilitator chair uh, can do to ensure that you, you set the stage for an effective face-to-face -face meeting. There's also some within the meeting processes that they can do, like making sure that you give people chances to speak and, get, and take turns and so forth, and that you're following the agenda. And then there's some post-meeting processes that 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 uh, a chair should be doing or delegating others to do, like capturing the action items, making sure that certain people have assignments from those action items, making sure someone's going to follow up on those actions, right? And so if you can do each of those stages in the process, suddenly you go from a suboptimal meeting to a meeting that actually accomplishes what it was intended to, and people will not, will not say no to your invites in the future, but they'll also, you know, if you were to get a rating, they'd probably rate that meeting as a much more effective meeting because it does what it was intended to do in the first place. Yeah. And I feel like, I just feel like people massively underestimate the prep and the post work to make an, or to create an effective meeting. And so people sort of throw it together short term and they underestimate it. I guess yeah. I want to ask you now, um, to look a little bit about virtual meetings, that is a sort of webcam-based meeting. So sure. I don't know if you know, here in the UK, there's been a few examples over the last uh, six to nine months of uh, online meetings, Zoom meetings that have been uh, somewhat chaotic. One even went viral and became quite famous for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wanted to ask you, like, how do, how do virtual meetings differ from face-to-face -face meetings? What is it about them that means we, we need to approach them differently? Sure, yeah. So... I'll start my answer by saying that about 70% of the things that we found about face-to-face -face meetings still apply for virtual meetings. So I think that's one one thing that we, we tend to, to think is that, oh, well, virtual meetings are a completely different beast. And therefore, you know, we, we throw out all that stuff we've learned from previous, you know, uh, years uh, doing research and, and doing face-to-face uh, -face meetings. So the, the, a lot of what I've already said still absolutely matters to virtual meetings. Don't forget those things. I think that's what's, what I'm often worried about. Is like, wait, you don't have a purpose for this meeting? Or wait, you don't have an agenda? Or wait, you're not starting on time? I mean, the, the, those things apply to face-to-face. -face, they apply to virtual. They, they apply to, to hybrid. They, they, you keep that in mind. Don't throw out the best practices. Yeah, sure, you don't have to worry about the seating anymore or the lighting if you're in a virtual meeting, hopefully. Um, but those things still matter, you know, in a face-to-face -face environment. So we'll keep those there, but the, a lot of this other stuff still matters. But in terms of uh, virtual, there's a, there's one thing that I think was, for me, um, really stood out as a big difference between a face-to-face -face meeting and a virtual meeting. And that was in a face-to-face -face meeting, you can have side conversations, you can have you can lower your voice and talk to the person next to you. You can and 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 you can have a a a, a subgroup have a little quick chat type thing. You can you can have those sorts of interactions that happen in a virtual meeting. The microphone picks that up. You can't really you can't really have a side conversation other than the chat function, right? And so in order for everyone to get a chance to actually speak and share their thoughts you've got to be a lot more on the ball in terms of facilitating the meeting. You actually have to call people by name. Otherwise, we get that constant 
chalking over each other, right? You, 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 you fits and starts of the conversation because you two people are trying to talk at once. And so you have to be, if you're a meeting leader, you have to be on the ball. If you're an attendee and you're in this situation, you, you it's okay to say, hey, hey, hang on a second. You know, Steve, you you start or or Susan, please, please share your thoughts. You know, you have to facilitate that. And that's a big difference, I think, between face to face and virtual, at least one. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I, I guess I'd be really interested to know your thoughts about like, the, I, I think I can't count the number of articles that were written about Zoom fatigue and um, <laughs> all of those sorts of things when we first uh, went into sort of working from home in such a big way in 2020, certainly here in the UK and the yeah. US. Um, but are we more drained by attending virtual meetings? Are they more tiring? Do we know why people are feeling like they might be more tiring? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I was actually just talking to another uh, colleague of mine about that today because uh, I think the short answer is yes, but probably not as much as we think. And, the, and here's why. So first off, the data is saying that when you see your person, so in a virtual meeting, you often hear people saying you need to turn on the camera, right? The camera is really important. And that and that's true, right? Because those nonverbal cues are important, right? But seeing yourself, this is one of the, the, the experiment out of Stanford, seeing yourself like that gets you, you see how tired you are or how your hair looks or you're, 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 you're aware of what you look like. And that awareness can be draining. So that's, that's one reason why they're more draining. Second thing would be during virtual meetings, we engage in a more emotional labor, probably to compensate for how we look, right? And, and emotional labor is this idea that you portray a positive tone even when you may not feel that way, right? And so you might be engaging in this labor, intensive effort of smiling when you're not really happy <laughs> or, or being excited about an idea that's presented that you're not really all that excited about. Um, but the interesting thing is we're doing more of that in virtual meetings than we were in face-to-face -face meetings. So those are two reasons why we have a little bit of an increase in, in fatigue. But let me remind you of, of a very important fact. In 2019 and before that, we had face-to-face -face meetings. And we would often go to the water cooler and say, oh, I'm, it's been a rough day. And, and, your, and, your, and your friend at the, at the office would say, oh, how come you had a bad day? Oh, I was in meetings from, from the get-go all day long, back-to-back, -back, right? We would complain about it. We'd go to the pub and we would, and we would drink with our friends and, and they would, we'd, we'd whine and complain about our meetings. In fact, 51%, a little more than half, right, just barely, of meetings are rated as poor pre-pandemic. Poor, not okay, not just, you know, somewhat, you know, bad, you know, poor which means we kind of hated meetings before and they kind of drained us out before. And so they're still doing that now, but maybe just a little bit more. Yeah. And that, it, I wish I was surprised by that number and how many, how many people are rating meetings for. And yeah. yes, I am uh, woefully and embarrassingly unsurprised. Um, and then just thinking, obviously, the, you, you talked earlier about one of the most powerful things we can do to have successful virtual meetings is some of the things we do to have good meetings in real life. Um, yeah. but are there any other practices that we can take on to sort of really help us uh, have a better experience when meeting virtually? Yeah, so there there are some actually some new practices. Uh, several of them are talked about in, in my in my book, uh, Suddenly Virtual, uh, with my co-author, Karen Reed. Um and they're, they're a little different than the face-to-face. -face. And so it's important to not discount that there are some new practices that we need to engage in. Uh, for example, turning on the camera. I know that's one that everyone's like, oh, not this again. You're going to make me turn the camera on. It's going to be draining. Yeah. Okay, I, I get that. 
but there, but the key is knowing when to turn it on and when it's safe and okay to turn it off. Right. So in a, so that's what the advice there is if it's a, a group of people you've not met with before, right. They don't know you, you don't know them. Those nonverbal cues are really, really important because you're starting, you're, you're trying to get an understanding of what do they look like when they're being sarcastic? What do they look like when they're smiling? What are they, you know, those, those, Physical features actually matter a lot in a new group. In a group that's not as new or it's not as a complex of a situation, you could turn off the camera and do nearly as well as when you when you have the camera on. Uh, and so under certain circumstances, it's okay to turn it off. But I think the, the advice there is be, be smart about turning the camera on when you need to, and, and, and the default is going to be more, more likely on. Uh, second thing would be uh, in a face-to-face environment, we have we have a conference room, right? Or we have a meeting room that we gather in, that sort of thing. Now the meeting room is everybody's, you know, kitchen table. It's their home office if they're if they're lucky enough to have that. It's it's wherever you might be, right? And so one of the so, you know one of the chapters really talks a lot about what do we do to make sure that we declutter our environment so that way the environment around us doesn't distract from what we're trying to do, right? And so if you have you know, uh, a fan whirling behind your head or you have, um, you know, the lighting isn't good. You have the window behind you. And so you, you got the halo effect. You, there are, there are, you know, you got distractions that keep coming in and out, that sort of thing. There are simple things that we can do to minimize those distractions, those things that take away from what you on the camera are trying to communicate, right? And this is particularly important in those new groups or in those presentations, right? When you're really trying to communicate something, if they can't see your face because of the window or they're distracted by the whirling fan or the other things uh, that are going on in your environment that can distract from you. And so, and that's not what you want. So you have to be more mindful of your environment, which is something we never had to do in our gatherings, in our, in our conference rooms, right? We just didn't have to do that. Um, And another thing to think about uh, in terms of virtual meetings is we have to, and I mentioned this previously before briefly, but we have to be, facilitators and co-facilitators in virtual meetings in a way that we didn't have to do with virtu- with a face-to-face meeting. In a face-to-face meeting, you can tell when someone wants to say something, right? But if you've got, you know, the Brady Bunch window going on, you've got, you know, 15 people you're trying to pay attention to, it's really hard to see when someone wants to say something. So you both need to be willing to call on people by name to, to get them to contribute if you're the leader. And you have to be willing to step up and say something if you are a participant and you haven't had a chance to share your thought. And so it requires a more engaged effort, right? Which again, might be contributing to why we think that virtual meetings are a little more draining because in order for your, for your thoughts and ideas to come out, sometimes you're going to have to say, Hey, I need to say something here. You, you actually have to chime in. Yeah, that makes total sense. So I, wonder, I just want to ask you something about um, like, alternatives to video meetings because we um we used to have conference calls right once upon a time we and you know certainly I've worked in organizations up until just before just before the pandemic that were still doing them regularly and is it are they are they so now uh ineffective that everyone is always better off using videos or is there a time and place actually to saying to people you know what you can just turn your camera off for today and we're going to meet uh, on, yeah. On the phone. Yeah, I. Um, 
it's important to know when it's when it's when it's good and when it's going to be okay to turn the camera off when it's when it's really important to turn it on i think that's i can't speak to that enough so the data and i present this in the book and also in another paper basically says that virtual meetings with the camera on are better from a satisfaction and effectiveness and process perspective than an audio only meeting period that the data plays it out as that is absolutely the case. Now, that being said, uh, we did have conference calls before. Um, we did pick up the phone occasionally, right? Uh, and we didn't feel like that was that was a problem. And here's what I think is, is, is important to remember. If you know someone, or if you know them well enough that you know how, how they behave, right? You know, when the, you know from their voice when they're being sarcastic or when they're making a joke, you know from their voice when they're frustrated. You know from this, you know from how the, you know them well. Then pick up the phone and make the phone call because you don't need to see their face on a virtual screen in order to be able to understand what they're saying and, and what they mean. Um, same thing with a conference call. If you if you know your team really well and you know how they interact and and so forth, it's not always absolutely essential to be on camera. Now I will say this with, with there's a one one big huge glaring caveat to that. When the camera's on, it's harder to engage in multitasking. When the camera's off, it's a lot easier to engage in multitasking, right? So camera on, you kind of have to at least try <laughs> to pay attention uh, to the camera and to the people in the room. Now you can still get away with sending an email or two here and there if you've got multiple screens and so forth, but if you um, if the cameras are off, you know, it, it, this is a notorious thing you hear in a lot of conference calls, conference meetings. Uh, you, you, someone will say, hey, yeah, I was just talking to Bob about this. I say, Bob, what do you think about that? And Bob's like, oh, my audio wasn't really clear. Could you please repeat the question? That happens all the time, right? Uh, and that's because Bob was probably not paying attention. Bob was probably sending email or checking out the latest uh, sports feed or, you know, the news or – Yelling at a kid because the kids are home, you know, for school these days, you know, things like that, right? Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, we've we've all been there. I, I'm so guilty of just listening out for my name occasionally, particularly if it's a meeting that, like, I don't really feel invested in. Um, one one little reflection on on that sort of phone call thing is, for me personally, I find that sometimes with a one to one phone call or one to one conversation, I like occasionally to take those off um, off video. And yeah. part of the reason I like that is I, I like to do that sometimes when I'm maybe going out for a walk or or sort of incorporating those conversations in a different way into my day. Sure. And I think that's helpful. But but for the groups, um, what you're saying totally makes sense. Um, in some of the teams that, that I've worked in in the past, uh, back in the old days, we actually had hybrid functions there. And, and you know, we'd have team members spread across the country and team members working from home. Um, and, and we kind of struggled to make those meetings satisfying, right? I mean, they, they, we yeah. kind of ended up lowering the satisfaction for everybody when we tried yeah. to do those hybrid meetings. And given where we are in, in the world, uh, you know, we're sort of heading out of uh, some of the, the lockdowns that we've seen and, and that sort of suddenly virtual world that we've been in. And, and we're potentially moving back towards more of this hybrid approach. Have you yeah. got any thoughts on the challenges we face in these hybrid environments? When it comes to me, yes, <laughs> awesome thoughts. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, the uh, my publisher 
um, has just optioned the uh, the second or the sequel, I guess you could say, to, to Suddenly Virtual, which is going to actually be Suddenly Hybrid. Yeah, great. Um, and, and the reason that is because you're right. We're we're now transitioning to you know some of us and 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 we will hopefully all of us over time to both a hybrid and a more back to face to face to some degree uh, world. The interesting thing about hybrid meetings is they were awful before the pandemic. Oh, they were so and dreadful. It, 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 you know, I, and I'm you know I'm one of the, the worst of it. So I I remember I vividly remember meetings where I would we would be three or four of us in a room. Right. And we'd have the conference phone, you know, there we'd have two or three people on the conference call. Right. And we'd have the meeting. And then as a meeting was getting ready to wrap up, I'd hear uh, someone clear their throat on the phone and be like, oh, crap. <laughs> I know. I've done people on the phone. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, out of sight, out of mind. Right. I mean, it <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's exactly it. Uh, um, this out of sight, out of mind issue is really, really important. And it's a different skill set. I think we were really bad at doing them before the pandemic. And and, and I've, I've reflected on this quite a bit, and I've started to collect data on it now that we're kind of transitioning out in some areas of the world. And one of the things that I think we, we don't realize is that because we were bad at it before, why do we think we're going to be good at it now? And as I thought about that, the reason we were bad at it before was that because we don't really train people like ever on how to run an effective meeting, right? So I think about, you think about primary school, you think about secondary school, you think about college. There's, you know, I, I taught a class in, um, when I was back at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. It was called Business Communication. Great class. But it covers all the different things that a person might need to know about communicating effectively in an organization. There was like three paragraphs in the entire textbook about meetings, and yet, we spend 75% of our time as managers on meeting-related activities. And yet, we don't train people how to do it. Well, when you think about the hybrid meeting, it's even more important. Because with a hybrid meeting, you can't, you've got to go against that out of sight, out of mind. That's a natural thing. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. It's, it's, it's programmed in us. We just forget about the things that are not right in our face. And so because of that, we have to train people on how to pay attention to the people that are on video, the people that are on the phone, the people that are in the room, and ensuring that everybody gets an opportunity to participate. And if we don't train that into people, our hybrid meetings are going to be miserable. And there's going to be, I, I expect, a push to get more people into the office or everybody to go do their virtual meetings because we've sort of figured out virtual meetings. There's still room for improvement. We sort of remember how to do face-to-face -face meetings, but the hybrid is just a different thing. And that's that's one big thing is, don't forget about the people that are on the phone. Um, and, I can, and I can share several more um, thoughts on that if, if you'd like. Yeah, I, I'll just come back on some of those points. I, I, you know, your, your story about remembering with people on the conference call, sometimes, you know, we used to have a little green light that was on and you're kind of like leaving the room and the green light's on and you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That. We also ended up in situations where sometimes we'd kind of get a laptop and, and set up one video just sitting there so the virtual people could sort of watch us from the corner of a room and we'd just kind of ignore them there. Um, so. <laughs> yep. One of the things that, that strikes me with this is we end up with what feels like a really unequal experience between the present and the non-present. Do you think there's anything beyond, you know, some of those facilitation skills that we can do to try and counter that? Or, or how much of a, a risk or threat do you see that inequality of experience being in these meetings? Yeah, I think uh, organizations that realize that they're going to go to they're going to hybrid and 
um, whether it's hire an expert or find a, a, a module online or something that then train their people are going to avoid a performance dip in their meeting effectiveness, which, you know, no one's measuring meeting effectiveness in their organizations, but maybe, maybe they'll think about it now. Um, but regardless, they'll avoid a performance dip right from the get-go if they train their people. Now, that's, that's one aspect of it. But you're right. There are things that we can do that are not training, which I know training people, people don't like the word training. Maybe just call it, you know, skill development or I don't yeah, know. Some kind of learning. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Some, something. <laughs> a company retreat. I don't know. Whatever you want yeah, to call exactly. it to make people not so uh, down on it. But um, that's going to be key. But then there's other things that you can do, right? So it's easier to forget people that are just on audio than it is to forget people who are on audio and video, right? So it, and if you're, so think about the room setup, right? If you're in a conference room and it's you and two or three other people and you have a large screen to one side of the, you know, to on, you know, like the front screen where you might put a presentation over, if you can pump that video into there and you have the Brady Bunch screen there, you know, if you have, you have your virtual meeting uh, screen there where you've got the people that are logged in, it's easier to remember them under that circumstance than when they're on uh, a conference phone, unless they're willing to you know, c- kind of chime in. But again, there's this, you know, if you, if you know you're anonymous and, you, and you're not as that engaged in the meeting, it's a lot easier to multitask. So again, if we don't, if we don't pay attention to the, the people on the phone, then they'll, they'll get lost. And if you don't pay attention to the screen, they'll get lost too. But it's, it's easier to remember them if they're on a screen and a, and a big screen where you can see them moving and waving and, yelling and so forth yeah yeah we used to have one of these things that we called like the star trek room where you'd go in and it was called like telepresence and you'd, you'd yeah. sort of pair up with other rooms so and that actually worked really well um yeah but again that's hard to integrate with yeah. home locations um when when we're looking at all these skills i mean uh, uh, and the fact that being a skilled leader of a meeting involves these things that you've spoken about to some extent it feels semi-performative, you've got to be engaging, you need to connect with everybody there, you need to be inclusive, you need to bring energy, you need to be aware of the agenda. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you get the sense that some organizations are, um, are looking for meeting experts who, to some extent, or, or expert leaders of meetings who might even be somewhat agnostic of the content? Do, do we have people that go around and, and create good meetings? Or is there any benefit in that type of thing? I was just exploring that. Yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, there are groups of, of people called facilitators, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they can be hired to run meetings, right? Whether they're, they're usually hired to for meetings that are, you know, uh, where important decision-making is happening or a strategy meeting, uh, you're, you're talking about teams that are, you know, um, high power teams, CEO suite type things, that that sort of thing. You're going to, you're going to see them hired for those situations. Uh, but there are, there are consultants and, and folks that are, that go around and help lead meetings. If you wanted to hire them to lead meetings, they also, there's also people who are more than happy to take your money and teach you how to run an effective meeting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think from my perspective, the, the issue is there's probably not, I mean, there is definitely not enough trained facilitators to have one in every meeting, right? That's just not possible. Um, but there are, they do, they do exist. And facilitation is actually a course. I mean, you could take a facilitation course, uh, in, in it, at a university, right? So there are courses in this, uh, but there, but that's to some degree different than leading a meeting, right? You, and so facilitation and leading a meeting, they're overlapping, yes, um, but they're not completely overlapping. So because a facilitator can do some things that are in other types of gatherings that are not a traditional meeting that they can do. So anyway, point being, there are some, 
Um, but there definitely aren't, aren't enough for everybody to be able to hire their services, which is why you see softwares, right? There are softwares that you can incorporate that will ensure uh, that help with participation, right? And engagement by people if you if you want to. They create collaborative environments. So that's another tool that maybe hybrid meetings could benefit from uh, by using those when they can't hire a facilitator, right? Uh, and, and other things of that nature. Yeah, Thank you. Um, and I was going to go on and ask, ask one question about this, this tech and, and whether we're seeing the evolution of new technology that helps address this. One of the things that, that I read about that I liked the sound of, I don't know if you've heard about this one. Um, there's one where you have meetings, but you have them as avatars. So you are able yeah. to move your avatar and that changes the volume of what you hear based on who you're with. So you can break out and join and integrate. And that feels like somebody's trying to to address this this problem of virtual meetings and of hybrid mm -hmm. meetings do you see anything else in that space that, that gives hope for tools to support improvement of these meetings yeah i mean there there are um more and more tools popping up you know add-ons to zoom um you know various other other things that are helping with the collaboration uh the avatar thing i've seen that there's there's starting to be some, uh, you know, some rumblings about the potential for virtual reality. So everyone puts on a headset and then they pop into a, 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 a room, so to speak, and 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 communicate that way. Uh, and so there, there's innovation that's happening that I think could be interesting. I think the the challenge will be adoption, right? We're just yeah. now, you know, you think about uh, March, April, May of 2020. How easy was it to find a webcam in May of 2020, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I think that's that's the pandemic created a really sudden adoption of virtual meetings like this. Uh, when it comes to these other innovations, right? What will be the impetus for encouraging people to try some of these other innov innovations, right? Uh, the collaborative softwares or the avatars or other things of that nature, and. To some degree, I think it's going to take something, you know, fairly big to, to kind of push us into innovating further than we already have. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the transition back to more face-to-face -face and hybrid settings will continue that willingness to be flexible and to innovate and that sort of thing. Uh, not sure if that will happen, but it'll be interesting to, to kind of observe what, what happens over the next uh, few months and years. Yeah, and, and that's a nice way to be optimistic about maintaining some of the positive change momentum that we've seen. Um, yeah. We are nearly out of time. I'm going to ask one question and then, then sort of wrap up. I guess the one question I'd ask is, if people were going to take away one lesson or one thing that you'd like people to do differently that you think would really improve the enjoyability and the productivity of our meetings, what would sort of one key point be from you that, that you'd look for people to, to take with them? Well... Um... Other than the structural things I've mentioned, the purpose and, and starting and ending on time, I think the biggest you know, key thing, whether you're in a face-to-face, -face, a virtual or a hybrid meeting, is participation and engagement. If you're the meeting leader, make sure that you, the people you've invited have a chance to contribute to the hopefully collaborative um, you know, in, engagement that they're in there, right? So if you're making it a collaborative decision, make sure everybody has a voice. If you're an attendee, make sure you participate and have a voice. We, we found that of all the different processes that, that we've, we've people introduce into a meeting, nothing is more important than ensuring that everybody is seen and they feel included, that they're part of the team and that they can contribute to what is actually happening there. And if you do that, then you're going to have a lot better meetings, no matter what the modality might be. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay, Joe, so that is us out of time. Um, before we really wrap up, is there anything that people can do to learn more about you or find your book or learn more about your research and what you're working on now? Yeah. So um, look me up at the University of Utah. Um, my email's available on there. You're happy to do that. And I think there might be a link in the in the uh, notes here. Uh, my book is available on Amazon. It's uh, called Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work. Look it up, find it there, buy it, tell me about it. Chapter 14 is about hybrid meetings. In fact, I've had people tell me, oh, I want, you know, I'm buying the book for chapter 14. So you're welcome to buy it for that reason, because we talk about it in there. But, uh, you know, check it out, uh, see what you think. And I would love to hear from you. Brilliant. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Joe. So that is it. So it's just a big thank you from me. And a goodbye from me. Okay, so that was our conversation with Dr. Joe Allen from Utah. And, and we talked about some great stuff there. We explored all things meetings. We spoke about face-to-face. We spoke about virtual. We spoke about hybrid. We spoke about behaviors that contribute to good meetings and, and some of the challenges we have. Um, Jane, is there anything you want to reflect on based on what we spoke about? Well, aside from having some significant flashbacks to terrible meetings in past lives, uh, I guess the thing that I'll always come back to is there's lots of great stuff in there. But at its heart, I feel like meetings are like a lot of the things we do at work regularly, which is that if we put the effort and the time and the energy into doing them well, we'll get a better result. And I feel like we've just got a bit lazy about meetings. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that sort of comes through in some of our conversation. There's so much to do with meetings that feel like if we get the basics right, you know, if we invest in them, if we give them the time and the attention that they deserve, we can have really helpful productive, engaging conversations that move our organizations forward and and are not dreadful to be part of. But if we don't do that, they can really kind of sap us and drain us. Yeah, I mean, it's just everyone's been in those meetings, a lot of them. And it's just, I think, you know, the thing I always think about is if I was going to invite a group of friends over for dinner for a couple of hours, I would prepare. I would make something nice to eat. I'd tidy the house. I'd lay the table and I'd make it nice for us, right? If someone's going to give up their time to spend it with me, for whatever reason, they deserve to be prepared for. And I feel like actually we could do do a lot worse than taking that attitude into work meetings. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point. And that analogy with our own social meetings, which are what gatherings of our friends are, is great. Um, one other thing that, that I'd sort of play back on that I think is important is this presence in meetings, about really being there, about paying attention. You know, in that conversation, we spoke about multitasking so many times and people looking at emails and doing other stuff. And we've all been guilty of it. And and part of it's because sometimes meetings are a bit boring or we don't need to be there. But sometimes it's our own behavior. And the last thing that, that I'd call out that I think is a, a great thing to think about is if only we could be better at pushing back or saying no to meetings we didn't really need to be at then potentially we'd all have a better meeting experience. Our meetings would improve. We'd get better feedback on what was a valuable meeting. We'd save ourselves time and we'd be more productive. So learning how to say no to meetings, I think, is, is something I want to get better at. Yeah, I think I think learning to say no effectively, generally, um, and in meetings in particular, is an absolute winner. Brilliant. All right. Well, that is it for this week. So thank you very much and goodbye from me. And have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.